Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. And now I invite you to settle in to that space where I am and there where you are, and let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. This podcast is titled Christians Stop Calling Yourself Pro-Life. And as usual, you can find the blog at revcarla.com that accompanies this podcast. So this is a this is a sensitive subject for people. And we're going to, as always, when we approach sensitive subjects, we're going to do this with as much gentleness as possible. But I also wish that we lived in a world where we did not have to have these conversations. But what I always like to say that is an informed person is an empowered person. And that's why it's important that more than just screaming talking points, it's important to be educated and informed so that you can then take that information, go explore deeply the things that you care about. And the things that you want to know more and research things for yourself is something that I think is, is important as well. So yes, this is an uncomfortable topic, but we're going to talk about what it means to be pro-life, pro-choice, uh, pro-birth, and why we need to have this conversation. And I'm going to be the first to admit that this kind of uh, subject, I have to myself research quite a bit because the data is changing constantly about with the abortion bans that are happening across the nation and the impact it's having on people already. All of that data is constantly coming in and being evaluated and how it's impacting, uh, especially the historically oppressed, but we will be talking about that now. This will not get graphic in terms. We will not be talking about the medical side of abortion. But again, if this is a sensitive or triggering topic at all, please know that we will be covering this with as much gentleness and care as possible. But I also believe that if this is something that you find uh, very disturbing, this might be a podcast that you'll want to skip. Now, the first thing I lay out here is the fact that people calling themselves pro-life is actually not the right term. What they are is pro-birth. And this is another one of those appropriating a language that's intended to imply a stance that's not real. Because those of us who are pro-life are more aligned with the values of not just pro-choice, but following the care of an infant through adulthood and supporting that life with whatever needs they, they are, that believing that as someone who is living and breathing, you have the right to security, to shelter, to food, to medical care. So being pro-life means that you care about the living, not just the birth of an infant. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So Christians call themselves pro-life, but what they're really concerned about is the developing fetus over the lifespan of a pregnant person. So they have made this clear that they care nothing else about anything else. The They don't care about creating a safety net for the child once it has come into the world. And they'll scream things like, there's no reason, no medical reason, no societal reason, 
no moral reason for uh, abortion because adoption is always an option. And say you don't need to have an abortion when adoption is an option. And for some people it is, but actually adoption can also be co-opted into a place where somebody feels like that's the only choice they have. And it's heartbreaking for some people who cannot afford a pregnancy and their only options if they can't get an abortion is an adoption. So the mental stress of going through and the financial pressures, even the the existence of this pregnancy inside your life and the inconvenience of it, what it can cause for, again, the historically oppressed, no one's taking that into account. They minimize the emotional stress, the mental stress of carrying a pregnancy to term for an adoption to happen. And the other thing that they're not denying, but it's certainly implied here, is that the reason that they're wanting more adoptions is not that they want more children into the adoption program. I'll share some statistics later in this uh, series. They want white children. White children are in high demand because they are concerned about white people becoming a minority in this country. So this certainly has implications of white supremacy behind it, especially when you look at the abortion bans, and we'll talk a little bit about the legislation in just a few few minutes, but adoption is also something that people take very seriously because they understand what kind of toll a pregnancy is going to have on their body and on their life and on their livelihood then also making this gut-wrenching decision with everyone involved, including their existing children on why an adoption is happening. Now, some of you are going to disagree vehemently with me because you feel that if if a person, a pregnant person is pregnant and that is a healthy pregnancy, then they have no right to terminate that pregnancy just for a matter of convenience. Well, that's easy from the outside looking in on what you think someone should be doing to in their lives. It's very easy to place a, a value or judgment on someone else sitting from the comfort of your perspective and saying that you know everything that's going on in that person's life. Very rarely, if hardly ever, women are using abortion as birth control. No woman who is prioritizing her own care is reckless enough to do that. But some, they, this is the kind of narratives that people put in them and that you might be having as well and stigmatizing women who are choosing to have abortions. So not to mention the fact that pregnancy in and of itself is very hard on the body. It can be very challenging. The social and economic barriers of being able to care for yourself and the fetus that's growing inside you, the strain of on the family, all of these things that can happen. And we also know that in some cases and in some states where maternal mortality increases because of the level of care in states, and then you put on top of that the level of care for someone who is now being forced into an adoption scenario you can start to see how all these complex decisions and considerations weigh upon the person who's carrying the the fetus. 
This is very, very challenging. It's something that I can't imagine not having the option to legal and safe abortion when you have to make decisions that are going to impact your family, your livelihood, and your body. Another argument that you'll often hear is people will say they should have thought about that before they had sex. That is such an insult because if you are actually putting a value system on how people caught up in the moments of heated romance, you, my friend, are in denial about your own actions or actions of someone else that you know have happened. And if you don't, then I'm sorry, your wanton ignorance is keeping you away from true human nature. And that, that trope just needs to go away because it's heartless and it's cruel and it, it's ignoring all of our skeletons in our closet because every one of us have, I should have thought about that moments, especially related to our relationships. I should have thought of that when it's, whether it's a woman wanting to believe that she can give freely of her body to someone who has agreed to take care of her, the formality of commitment or marriage or whatever is not, it is not in question because things are going to be taken care of until the pregnancy is involved or vice versa. The woman is saying she's protected and they, they end up untimed pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy. The list goes on and on the way that people end up with unplanned pregnancies and how dare you set up and be holier than thou with your statements that, that say I could have, I would have, or I think people just aren't spending enough time considering their options. Well, let me just tell you this too, especially if you're still in church, you are sitting beside someone who has had an abortion. You are sitting beside someone who has paid for one. You're sitting beside someone who has rejected a family member for being pregnant. You're sitting beside someone who feels guilty for rejecting those family members and doesn't know what to do about it, but her indoctrinated beliefs or their indoctrinated beliefs compels them to believe that that's the way they're going to be accepted in their spiritual community. No, it's not the people who are diving into the pleasures of being human. It's the judgment that comes along with those who say, well, there's only one thing to happen that can happen. He suffer the consequences because of that. When somehow your place of privilege allowed you to be able to hide your skeletons when someone else doesn't have the same kind of privilege and influence and resources to be able to hide there. So just stop with those very harmful judgmental tropes. This holier than thou persona, all of that just needs to be retired. And then of course, you'll hear people talk about abortion being a sin. And I just wanna say this right off the bat, there is, there is no clear statement in the Bible that explicitly says that abortion is a sin. Now you can interpret certain verses, just like anything else, you can negotiate with the Bible and you can say that certain verses are referencing abortion, but there's no specific condemnation of the act in the text. Now the Bible does contain several references to the value of human life and the sanctity of the unborn, but these are often 
uh, open to interpretation. And ultimately, the question of whether or not abortion is a sin is a matter of personal and religious belief and interpretations of the Bible. And we already know how that can that can vary. But your interpretation of scripture compels you to believe that abortion is a sin. It's not just saying abortion is a sin. Your interpretation of scripture compels you to believe that abortion is a sin. Whenever you hear somebody saying you're going to hell for not going to church, you're going to hell for being gay, you're going to hell for uh, having an abortion, you're going to hell for not being a Christian. Your interpretation of scripture compels you to believe that. And you can believe that if you want. You have the right to your religious beliefs. Our constitution protects that. The moment you weaponize that and turn it to me and say, I'm going to tell you how to live now based on my religious beliefs, that's religious oppression. The constitution also protects us from that. Sadly, we just have people in power right now who are negotiating with the constitution and have the power. I want to talk a little bit about this word negotiation because that really has come up a lot since uh, a TikToker, Dan McClellan, he's also on Instagram and Twitter if you want to follow him, but he is a biblical scholar and he talks about abortion several times in his videos and he has them cataloged on TikTok uh, really well. So you can go through and just listen on any subject that you want. But what he said is, if you just take example, Exodus 21, uh, verse 23, it's, it's about men fighting. And it says during that fight, if they injure a pregnant woman who then has a miscarriage, the husband and the judge can impose punishment. But if the woman dies, it's life for life. So there's a punishment if she miscarries, but for life for life, if the woman dies. So in other words, as Dan McClellan says, it's clear there that they're assigning less value to a fetus than to a life. And that kind of thing is very important. It's not that you can't say that there is potential for life there. And it's obviously if a woman is, is pregnant, then she has the desire to carry fetus to full term. Because let me just tell you, abortions have been happening for centuries. Women who did not want the burden of more children were figuring out ways, sometimes horrific, graphic, deadly, life-altering ways to have abortion because the primary burden, financial, emotional, psychological, is going to be on the woman and the the caretaker of the household because of these strong patriarchal systems. And women who did not want to suffer under that anymore would find ways to be relieved from it when they found them found themselves being pregnant one more time. And so this is not a new concept. This has been happening for centuries. So the Bible indicates that life begins at first breath, but people will counter that by saying that the foretelling of Jesus, so like that Jesus was coming as the Messiah, this would imply that our sanctity actually begins at conception. Because if you know what's going to happen, your destiny is foretold at conception. But McClellan also says that is also another renegotiation of scriptures. What that means is that someone is assigning value to this concept of sacred conception and saying that this, this has to be the original writer's intent, was moving the moment of conception as being the sacred part 
of our journey, of our humanness at that point, that's a renegotiating of script, scripture. No one can actually go back and say the writers of that scripture were actually trying to imply that. It actually doesn't even make any sense when you see all the writings that are from that time that, that does not coincide or align with that renegotiation. Now, I, I think I did say a few minutes ago that I wanted to talk something about that renegotiation or negotiating with the Bible. This is something that's been going on for a long time. The minute we take a verse and we want to pluck it out of its context and say, based on this context, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to oppress you. I'm going to build my theology and everyone who doesn't agree with me is going to hell. Then you have renegotiated scripture. And the reason we have so many denominations and so many churches, we're at like 25,000, 30,000 denominations worldwide. When we started with just the Protestantism being born in the 16th century, from there you have all these thousands of denominations. And the reason why we do is because no one can agree on the interpretation of scripture. What is it that are supposed to be your values, your moral code, your theological beliefs, your ideology, your dogma? What is it that you're supposed to believe inside your church based on the negotiation of scriptural context and content and translation? And if you don't agree, then you just go start a new church. You schism and you just go start a new church. It just happened in the Methodist church. It's still happening because Methodists, some Methodists do not want to continue to expand and renegotiate the scriptures to create a more kinder and compassionate and equal opportunity for the LGBTQIA plus community. So now you have a branch saying, no, we're not negotiating. We think that's a sin. We read it as a sin. We're holding on to that negotiation because we had to negotiate it and include phrases in the Bible when somebody put homosexuality in the Bible, whether it was by mistake or intentional to condemn the gay community. You understand that people, some people held on to that like a chokehold to say, I'm holding on to this, which is what evangelicals do. I'm not giving up on this. It's always going to be a sin. When some of them said, it's time to let that go. We got to let that, that scripture live back there where it did when they didn't understand. They didn't even have language that it helped define the LGBTQIA plus community and their journey and their authenticity. So we had to let that language go and renegotiate with it to understand that where we are today is a different place. These rules and codes that we put where we think we have the right to mandate how another person lives and how they show up in the world aren't needed because we have evolved to a place that allows for a table of humanity for all of us to exist freely, to show up, to be who we are as we showed up. So this negotiating of scripture should continue it's a flowing conversation in the places where you are stuck in a rigid dogma that judges people based on who they love, what they believe, where they were born, the color of their skin. That's where you stopped negotiating and you're holding on to this rigid dogma because of your feeling that you are spiritually superior and you want to keep it. So you are, you are entrenched in some kind of supremacist theology because you want that power whether you like it or not that's the reality okay getting back to the podcast so it's important to note that the bible does not contain explicit references to the beginning of life 
at birth. Even if it's, we talk about, uh, there are verses in the Bible that have been interpreted to suggest that life begins at birth or shortly thereafter. So let's let's look at this. Ecclesiastes 6.3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not sat- satisfied with life's good things and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. What? Now people will take that and say, a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, but his soul is not satisfied with life, good things. And he's, it's child who is born dead is better off than he is because it's about living, living this life. You can see how you can take that one scripture and say, ha, see, see the value of a human life. I'm not saying I'm negotiating these to, to say that, that we try to find places in the Bible where it, the Bible says life begins at birth. But what I'm saying is that if you need to find them, you can start to negotiate the scripture to find those spaces. Do you see what I mean? That's like, why are we keep reaching back for thousands of years to find the moral code of where we are today? They should be inspiring us, but not anchoring us and suffocating us and literally putting their feet on our necks to bind us to something that no longer exists. Uh, let's try one more. Um, Hosea 9, 14, give them Lord what you will give them. Give them wounds that miscarry and breasts that are dry. What? Why are we talking about this? How graphic do you know these, did you know these verses are in there? I'll, I'll give you a couple more that you can look on your own. Job 3, 16 and Numbers 5, 21 and 22. Just go look at these and then go look at the, the some of the commentary and you're going to have people all over the place. And especially if you go to someplace like uh, gotquestions.org where the argument is life begins at birth and they're saying life begins at conception because gotchristians.org is run by evangelical Christians. They're going to bring you around full circle to bring you right back to where they know what you're doing with that verse. And they're going to bring it right back to say, but don't forget abortion is a sin. And here's why. And they're going to take you right there because listen, We'll do this all day. We'll do this all day. Whether it's abortion, the rights of LGBTQ, the rights of women, even some people will take it so far as the rights of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Oh, yes. The Bible can be interpreted to say that the white Eurocentric Christian male is the head of authority. The Bible ordains it. The Bible that came out of a place where there weren't any white people somehow was all about foretelling the rise in power and dominance of the white Christian male. Isn't that amazing? But we know the Bible has been used to justify by slavery. We know it's been used to support slavery. We know that it has been used to suppress women. In the 19th century, the Bible was used to speak out against indoor plumbing. The reason was because you lived in this, you, you taught this biblical depravity. To suffer in this life was part of your duty as a Christian because your relief would come when you receive salvation at death. And so indoor plumbing was going to make things too comfortable. Why would you want people comfortable sitting there listening to the word? You want them to feel uncomfortable. So they're shaken in their skin and they're, they vibrate in their soul. They got to think about these physical discomforts. Don't put in indoor plumbing. And there was actually preachers who preached against it. So 
you will always find preachers who will find some reason to preach against something that threatens the people looking straight at the pulpit. And you don't even need to get into the fact about how women have been erased from the Bible for years because of these patriarchal religious institutions that have minimized their stories and their influence throughout history. I plan to do sometime when I have time to really sit down and do it is talk about the the women's uh, influence in scripture and in our history, in, in spirituality and in religious history, especially primarily Christianity, because it's all there. But when Christians are hunkered down in this hyper focus on abortion as the primary reason that that they will make that their only agenda, if you're whatever you're talking about, whether you're talking about the support of the gay community, the LGBTQI plus community, whether you are saying that you are you are wanting to an ally for the black, indigenous and people of color, whether you are wanting to help the climate, whatever it is you're, you're talking about, you'll have people come back and say, yeah, but what is your stance on abortion? Because that's the deal breaker right there. Well, Jerry Falwell back in the seventies taught them that. And Jerry Falwell really didn't give a flip. What Jerry Falwell cared about was the rights of whites. The rights of whites is what Jerry cared about, but he knew that he could get people behind the abortion issue which is exactly what he did. Now, this Christian dominionism, you've heard me talk about it several times, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I'm getting ready to do another piece on that as well. But this is why I believe Christians should not be calling themselves pro-lifers. And I, that's where I think that you, as someone who is learning, who is deconstructing and learning how to use your new healing journey is to push back on that. What exactly are they against? Because if it's about the care of a fetus to to birth, then they are pro-birth. If they're not voting for politicians who are making sure that you have, that they have care after birth, that the mother has post-care, that that the child has postnatal care, that they have insurance, or that we have enough money to take care of the 125,000 children that are in foster care waiting to be adopted. Those are statistics in 2020. There are approximately 125,000 children that are waiting to be adopted. But more than likely, they're not what the white Christian wants. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't white Christians out there who have adopted and who haven't who haven't fostered. I know there are, but how can you have that many children inside foster care in a country that is making such a big deal about the rights of the unborn? And we don't have enough money to really subsidize this service for the children who oftentimes fall below the radar and that for their care, their monitoring, their and a lot of times when they when they become of age, they're kicked out of the system. Good luck. Go do whatever you need to do, but we're no longer funding you. That's part of this problem. When we think about from birth to death, how are we taking care of the living? That should be our priority. So a lot of these politicians that are getting it elected are voting against childcare, after-school programs, uh, affordable lunches, nutritious lunches, insurance. This entire scheme to just produce more white babies continues to 
oppress the historically oppressed. Now, there was a bill in Texas, HB 289, which would provide a 40% property tax reduction to married couples who have more than four children, 40% property tax reduction. But there were qualifications that you had to pass in order to get this reduction. You could not be LGBTQIA+, so not same-sex couples. You could not be single. You could not be divorced. You could not be a blended family. You, you know, who else would not qualify for that are people who don't own their homes. Well, guess who doesn't, uh, guess who primarily owns their homes in Texas? White people. So there's a huge housing disparity among whites and blacks, and it's so huge that it shows up as well in, in home ownership. So they're basically saying the quiet part out loud again when they're saying, well, this is a way to incentivize more white babies, and we're going to show you the conditions in order to get them. I will give it to this white hetero couple, but not to even the white same-sex couple or the black people. I am making sure that I'm going to incentivize the white people to continue to do this. So this historically oppressed continues to be oppressed, even when we are looking at a place, if you can force people into, into pregnancies and forcing them into births, then not giving them the resources to take care of that children, you're keeping them in abject poverty. And who does that serve? The patriarchy. Because someone who cannot get out of that system is going to have to abide by that system just to survive, which means whatever jobs they're offering at whatever pay and benefits that they will, because you have no choice. So this is a horrible, selfish, inhumane system that's, that's shrouded in Christianity, and it's toxic, and it's sexist, and it's homophobic and transphobic. And it's white supremacist all together. But this whole abortion pro-life thing is a straw man. The white Christian male is hiding behind the cloak of religious beliefs as if they are the keeper of a moral code that most Americans just do not support. And that's the truth. These Christians are believing these lies. And some of them, the, the leaders don't believe them. They know exactly what they're doing here. They're worried about their power. Now, I've shared my story about being pregnant at 16, and I also wrote it here in the blog, and you can go find that at RevCarla.com. But if you disagree about our need to take care of the child that's born, the living child, and to provide services to help them, then you are not pro-life. You are pro-birth. You are not pro-life if you're not supporting the ban of assault weapons and you don't support funding programs that support the underserved. So there's a difference and pro-birth is not sacred. It's not holy. That is being the harbinger of white supremacy. Own that, own that statement. Know who you are because for the rest of us, we're going to continue to advocate for equity and justice and human rights for all. And that includes the right for the pregnant person to decide what happens with their bodies.
Okay, beautiful souls. I know this is a hard one to get into and a hard one to digest. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to us at info at revcarla.com. Thank you so much for listening. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. You can always connect with me on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and of course, TikTok and on my website at revcarla.com. I'm so honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace, be at peace, go in love, and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon.